Welcome to This Life, the Chronicles of Autism Mums, hosted by me, Alison Sarah. Each week, I'm joined by amazing women who happen to have autistic kids. Hasna, Moira, Susanna, Reen, Maha, Karina, Huma and Rana, Alteki. Each week, we talk about navigating the ups and downs of parenting kids with autism and how that affected us and our lives as women, mothers and professionals. Strap in, grab some tissues, sometimes you'll cry from empathy and other times from laughter. Join us on our journey of this life. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of This Life, the Chronicles of Autism Mums. And thank you so much, all of you lovely ladies, for joining us this morning for um, a very interesting uh, conversation about early intervention. So uh, this week, um, it's to intervene or not to intervene. That is the question. So we are going to be talking about intervention, early intervention, what that means, um, that explains and if um, we uh, went down the route of early intervention for our children and the positives, the negatives, and perhaps the, some advice that we can give for our listeners out there. So I think to get started, um, Hasna, would you mind giving us a brief um, lowdown on, for any listener who's new to um, autism or um therapies and so on and so forth yeah so if we can have like if you could just explain what early intervention is that would be a great start I think yeah so early intervention is a support and educational program or system that is it's like a remediation it's a, a skill and 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 um a remediation program because children on the spectrum tend to not learn um, a, a struggle with learning naturally by observing their environment. So a lot of those skills need to be broken down and taught, but also language, making sure that you can catch them up as much as possible because the aim of early intervention is to include them as much as possible in, in the mainstream but, or in whatever they need. But uh, because the brain at that age, and early intervention optimally is from... Uh, zero to three I mean I see or I mean like some sometimes they start at 10 months but like it's usually before because that's prime time I know that studies have shown that neuroplasticity the brain you can still you know it's almost like when we get in a car and uh, that's not something we were born knowing but we do it sort of automatically now it's a taught skill but it comes so uh, early intervention works on remediating uh, behavior skills uh, life skills, <clears throat> uh, routines, communication, speech therapy. It's usually multidisciplinary, so it involves different therapies. But the ones that are always a big part of seem to be speech and OT. And then there's the whole ABA controversy, which, uh, but I know that those, everybody agrees that those are very important. Uh, occupational therapy remediates on gross motor skills, on uh, fine motor skills. Uh, movement, sensitivity, sensory. So you're basically giving your child a, a 360 approach um, where you're trying to catch him up or let's say, again, I like the word remediation, um, all the skills that he cannot pick up naturally in the environment in order to include him in mm -hmm. an inclusive mainstream system if that is the right choice for him. Okay. Uh, so it's important because at that age, it, kids, kids can, can really come around, can really pick up those skills fast. And then you're setting them up uh, for success versus, you know, just letting them develop at their own, fate, um, right. at their own uh, pace. So the reason for the early part of this intervention is basically the fact that within those few years, you're saying that um, it's a lot 
easier and for the child and um, they develop faster if they have these types of therapies um, yeah, because the brain is developing, uh, it's yeah. still very neuroplastic, it's developing, yeah. all these neuron connections are happening. And again, I'm not a scientist, but this mm -hmm. is the science behind early intervention. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so with that, there is um, a reasonable amount of urgency then for a lot of parents who understand the fact that early intervention uh, quite possibly could be the best thing for their child that may have a diagnosis or have some delays. So, um, Karina, did you um, know about early intervention when you um, when your son was diagnosed or before your son's diagnosis? Because this all kind of fits into, you know, what the, the path that we chose to take um, when we realized that our children were um, delayed or had their diagnosis. So did you how did you find out about early intervention and did you uh, did you receive services for early, early intervention? We, we didn't know about it anything, everything came as a surprise. Uh, after receiving, right after receiving the diagnosis, our pediatrician explained to us about early intervention and the importance of it. And also he suggested us to start as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, he explained also about the brain plasticity and he said that it would lessen the symptoms of autism. He said, it's not going to cure it, but it's going to lessen the symptoms. But he made sure we understood the outcome would depend on many factors, especially the um, consistency. So he said, you have to be consistent. We don't know how long this is going to take, but don't stop. So we began here in Qatar with almost daily sessions of speech and OT. And every summer we would take him out of Qatar for intensive, daily intensive sessions of speech and um, OT as well, because he didn't have behavior issues. So it was mainly, it was like daily, every summer we went for five years. And uh, we were on this pattern for five years. And now if we fast forward this uh, like 10 years now, I, I can tell that improved a lot, especially his intellectual ability of, and, and of course, he reduced the symptoms of autism. Okay, that's really interesting that you laid those foundations, really. So those foundations were built very, um, <clears throat> very steadily over that period of time. But now you believe that, um, you know, from where he is now was really a lockdown to the early intervention that he he was receiving. Uh, Reen, what about you? What's your experience of early intervention? Um, well, basically, um, when we found out that he, we, when he, we had a diagnosis with him, um, we read up about a lot of therapies and about early intervention. But at the, then at the moment, it was like 2010, 2011, back here in Qatar, there wasn't a, a program set up for children back then. So there wasn't anything that included academics, uh, behavior, social communication, emotional regulation, nothing. And we thought everything was separate. And there wasn't um, enough support back then as well, support in terms of services. And um, it was quite difficult to get the whole package. So you as a parent would need to source separately. So we managed to um, get, um, uh, because we know that he needs like uh, 
Karina said consistency and he needs and then he needs um he, he can't just do it once or twice a week he needs to do it like every day so it's molded in him right because it's like because for them everything needs to be taught it's not something that comes naturally and if you don't do it every day it's not a repetition it's not something that it's going to be you know it's they're going to follow through but we did manage to get speech for him we need to get managed ot for him we managed to get aba for him and this was done every day after school five days a week and and at the same time because his um behavior therapist back then was also his shadow teacher so she implemented whatever he learned so she attends his um ot session sometimes she attends his speech sessions she sits in speech sessions sometimes because sometimes speech we get the speech therapist to do it in school. So she implements whatever he needs in school and they come back and they do it for another hour or two after school. So okay. for the first two years, it was just that. And we had to implement it on the weekend. So then, then, you, can, then you can see the difference. Then, uh, but you can't just stop there. And then there's the holidays. So every time we go on a holiday, we try to go somewhere where we can have the services as well. But we want to experiment with, you know, different uh, therapists, different approach to see what, um, how it's, how he can benefit from from it. So every summer, you know, we either spend some some when we go back to Malaysia, it's you know, two months of solid, you know. OT, um, I mean, it's not a rest for him. It's like going to school every day with uh, OT and uh, speech and et cetera. And then, you know, we spent two summers in the US to get a different type of therapy. We spent a summer in the UK to get, you know, a different type of therapy, just trying all sorts of intervention to help him uh, where he struggled most that year. So every year we have a goal, okay. This year it's speech. So we need to go somewhere where we can get really good speech therapists. So six months before that, we do all the planning and we go, we sit in and he does that. Or this year it's emotional regulation. Where can we do? So we did social thinking in the US, we did, you know, and then we tried CBT, we did all sorts of stuff. So every year is, there's a goal. Um, so every year where we, where we have our summer, we plan things that we can work on. Wow, Reen, that's amazing. I mean, it sounds like a, a, a massive amount of organization and research that goes yeah. on behind that. And please, please share what you find because I'm going through the same, the social, emotional, whatever program yeah. you find, please share. That's the, top, that's the, yeah. that's the toughest because it's, yeah. it's ongoing. It's yeah. so yeah. hard. And it's for everybody, not just for our kids, but imagine our kids going through that. Yeah. Anyways, we'll we'll share all of that in the, uh, in the show notes after this. Reen's uh, feedback on these different types of um, therapies and things that she's tried as well one day when we're maybe at a separate episode like you said yeah absolutely we can surely yeah. do that and I, I think that um, it takes such a long time to, to put this research together and obviously to make these plans um, so we'll certainly share that and maybe we can do like Susanna suggested another episode on just sharing resources um, Reen that I mean just going back to that actually and just the fact that it sounds like you put a lot of time and effort into um, providing these experiences and also this level of therapy for your son. Um, and you identify 
you know where his needs are you know that, that particular time and try and really kind of home in on that what toll do you think it takes on you as a person as a mother to not only be parenting your kids and you know doing the you know the day-to-day stuff but also mm-hmm. all of this identification of different areas that need work but also you know just trying to do the research and that pressure that you feel to because I'm assuming me as a parent as well you know when you identify that your child needs work in certain areas for want of not a better word then it becomes a job in itself so you know how do you how do you fit that and how does how does that how does that work for you how do you manage it it's super scary because you know you think everything is okay and suddenly you know, something happens and you're like, oh my God, not again. And yeah. oh my God, what do I do? Like you're in a panic mode because you know, you know that you can't get it here. So where can you get it? And sometimes it's, I know that it's not like, it's not like I sprinkle fairy dust and he'll be okay, you know, the next day. But you need, in the meantime, while waiting for that service that you are going to try to get him, what do you do? You know, because everybody's behind you know, hounding you behind your back, like, you know, this needs to happen, that needs to happen, but you know, I can't, it's so stressful. It is really, really stressful. And, um, but my husband is great. My husband, he likes to do research as well. So he takes that burden part of that away from me that, you know, he supports me in that sense. He's like, okay, let's do this, let's try this, you know, and then I will try to execute that. But he does quite a bit of research. So it, it does really, some of the uh the stress but you know for me personally i i i think i've become more anxious uh since you know all this started since this journey i'm a very anxious you know and just wanting to get things solved just you know wanting to you know find something and to make sure that everybody who's hounding me is happy and uh that's it's just it's just a nightmare sometimes. It's mm-hmm. a lot on you. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Moira, I mean, coming to Moira now, because I know your experience of early intervention, Moira, um, was rather different to Reen's, just in the sense that you, you know, we've all identified that our children, uh, we would like them to have early intervention. And we, you know, we all agree that it's a good idea. But based on um, Reen's uh, situation, which was there were no services. So she kind of, I think, rounded everybody up. And, you know, there was one session, then another session, and then she managed to bring everybody together so that, you know, all of these disciplines were kind of rolled out right the way through his school day. And your experience was different based on the fact that, um, like me, for my son, you were part of an early intervention, you know, a first round of an, an actual early intervention program that happened here in Qatar, which was to explain that multidisciplinary um class basically so a a school um, that rolled everything out in like a five-hour block in a day so what do you think you know the differences were for you emotionally and also in terms of um, the benefits to your son? Callum starting the EI program came quite a bit further down the line and so at the beginning we probably started our journey um, a bit differently because we didn't start with a paediatrician giving us a diagnosis and then telling us what our route could be. We started early with a health visitor and nursery 
just highlighting his lack of speech. So for a long time, we thought he can't speak, he needs speech therapy. And that was pretty much all we focused on really. Um, and we moved here from the UK. In the UK, we were offered speech therapy, a six week block, but then there would be a few months gap and then you get another six week block. <laughs> Um, so we didn't even get to start that actually. We came here and immediately started looking for speech therapists, not even aware that he might need any other kind of therapy, to be honest. Um, so it was very much word of mouth, coffee mornings, Facebook groups, thank goodness for out of sync group, Rain. <laughs> um, I joined that and then, yeah, just randomly meeting you, Alison, a friend said, oh, I've got a friend who's got a friend who's got a son who doesn't speak. <laughs> it's like, wow, someone else. Um, so I met this friend at a party, said, you don't know me, but I believe you've got a friend who's got a son. Can I have her number? <laughs> and then pitched up at your house for a cup of tea, probably blubbed in your sofa, going, I don't know what to do. And from then, you introduced me to the various people who would then head up this EI program so uh yeah and so it was just talking to them that basically we discovered it was more than just speech um and even before that trying to find a speech therapist is um they're not all equal <laughs> you have to try a lot of different therapists to find one that fits and to be honest there was there was one particular one that everyone raved about here and I thought, I've got to, got to get to see her, got to get him in quick. This, I, we were aware you have to deal with things early, but she was full. I practically sent a begging email, squeeze me in. And she did. And um, she wanted to see him at nursery and we get little to no feedback. I thought, what on earth am I paying you all this money for? So even the ones that are supposedly brilliant, don't always work for you. We then found another one who insisted on doing sessions at home with us. So she was teaching us with the child so much better. Um, but yeah, getting him into the, finally into an EI program was a huge relief to me because it took a lot of stress off of me because the work was being done by somebody else. They had found the therapists. They were figuring out what he needed um, I mean, you're always wondering if there's something else you could be doing, but it goes like that. You go for a period of time where you think somebody else is managing this for me. I can uh, take a breath. And then I think that's important as well, actually, that, you know, you get that sense of relief. I certainly did when we started NOAA in an early intervention program, because you've got people guiding you through that process. And it's such a relief that you feel that you know, somebody that really actually knows what they're doing and there's a structure, there's a structure to everything yeah. and somebody is managing that whole multidisciplinary approach to your child's therapy. So, you know, whereas Reem was saying that she, you know, had to manage all of that. And at some points during, um, you know, when we left early intervention, we've had to do that. And, you know, you really need to be at the top of the game. You really need to be on these people. And I think, you know, if you are employing private therapists, um, then, as Moira said, they're not all the same. And, you know, you rely on them to be in the industry that they're in or, you know, doing what they do, their job, because they they care. And 
the majority of them, I would say, hey, do, but they're, you know, they, you, you know, you really do need to um, keep a track of what's happening and you can't just trust them to do a session and, um, and then that's it until the next week. And also, you know, we all know the benefits of, you know, really working with your child through the rest of the week until they have their next session so that we can practice all of these skills that have been, um, that have been taught. Maha, what's your experience of, you know, early intervention? Um, because obviously your kid, your child is a bit older, you know, when you first came here and you had a different, um, a totally different experience, I think. Yes. Yeah, so, so when he was diagnosed, the pediatrician basically gave me a piece of paper with all these numbers on it. I had no idea what early intervention was, although I mean, like I work in healthcare, so I speak to a lot of health professionals and I still didn't know what early intervention was. And, um, and he just gave me this list and he just said, just try. And I'm like, try what? And he said, wherever you can get in. So I'm like, does he need speech? Does he need OT? Like you tell me. And so it was, it was really difficult at the start. So we, we did end up um, getting him into a, um, an early intervention program, which was about six hours of therapy a week. It was two, three hour blocks. And um, it was difficult because in Australia, you know, most of us where we're, we're working, you know, it's I think different here in Qatar where, you know, where we sometimes have the, the help at home and things like that. It, it makes it a bit easier to, to work around therapy. Um, but in Australia, we're working and, you know, trying to fit it in was, was really challenging. Um, and so we were given these two, two, three hour blocks and, I have to say, although we had to wait six months, and again, at the time you're in a panic because you hear the word early intervention and you think, I've got to get in early, like, and you're trying to still work through it. Um, so six months later we started and um, I have to say it was, it was worth the wait for me at the time because I really could tell the difference between people that knew what they were talking about and people that didn't because I'd already sort of, you know, taken him to speech and OT and they really the great thing about this program that I did was they spent two full days just with the parents kids were not there and just teaching the parents and it was almost like early intervention for the parents like we need to understand what is going on because we are of no help when you take your child to an OT session and then you have to wait three days for the next session and you have no idea what to do in between sessions it's almost useless but these people were sort of able to say, look, this is why they behave this way. This is what's happening to them. This is what you need to do. This is how consistent you need to be. And they basically drilled it into us for two days saying, you want to do this program. We've got limited time. So we really need you to almost be helping us, <clears throat> excuse me, be helping us in between with the things that you were doing at home. So I, I think that really set a good foundation for us because then when I would go, like I went through five or six different OTs and five or six different speech therapies because not everyone fits. And so once I was given that sort of support and information, when I would go and see a psychologist, an OT, whoever, I would then be able to go, no, nah, not for me, not for us. Or I'd go, yep, yeah, this person understands what's happening. I can trust what this person says. Because, again, our time is limited. You know, we don't have six months to waste on, oh, you know, I tried that, it didn't work. You know, we need to know in like, you know, a month or two, is this okay or not? So I think for me, I was really lucky that I had that. And I, 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 if I didn't get into that program, I think it would have been extremely difficult just to work out where, where I needed, where I needed to go. So I think, okay. you know, just getting in, do your shopping, get, get to the right people and hopefully that'll set you on the right path.
Okay, so rules of engagement then for parents is also very, very important. So not only just to be told about an early intervention programme, but how how you can, you know, further enhance that early intervention programme, because it's just not, it's not magic, is it? There's a lot of work that goes on. I mean, obviously, they do take the lead on things, um, the therapist and that clinical team, but there is a lot of work for from the parents' perspective. Susanna, because uh, when, when did your son join an early intervention program? How old was he it, and what were your experiences? I was just thinking about this, about the age, and I think he was almost four at that time. Um, so he had already been doing just uh, therapy for about five or six months. And I was having an issue with the lack of consistency in the nursery. Although I was in and all of his therapy sessions and I was communicating that with his teachers and nursery, but because they were such a young age group, I think they had the main teacher and like four assistants. Um, and there was like one that was consistent with what I was trying to teach, but the rest weren't. So that lack of consistency was creating an issue. So this is kind of where I want to highlight even the kids who are on the milder end of the spectrum at that age really need the consistency. And I, and I think it was a big lesson for me to, um, I think at that point, I was looking for the ideal situation. And the ideal situation was he didn't necessarily really need to be in an EI program. He needed a setup at a school that had the support system in that, but that was not available. And it, I struggled with coming to terms with that. And I think my husband also struggled with when EI was um, suggested. It's not that I necessarily felt he needed to be in that, but because of the lack of consistency that I was able you know, we weren't able to achieve, I felt like it was the only choice I had. And even like within the first month of him being there, so he was there, I think, for only about four months, by the end of that school year, um, the head clinical like BCBA came and said, she's like, he's improving, like he's skyrocketing so much that I'm second guessing myself if I made the right recommendation for him. But the reality was, that was the only other option to have the consistency of what he needed. And he really did benefit from it. I can't say there's no way I can't deny that. But mm -hmm. obviously, it, it was at a very great cost as well, because again, insurance doesn't cover this. So we had to pay out of pocket. But it's definitely worth it. Like I, I see the difference in all the therapy and Things that we've done with them so and it's really interesting actually Susanna your perspective um just in the sense that you know it was a difficult decision emotionally as well for you to you know take that kind of leap of faith if you like and you know as as a mother and as a, a parent you know deep down really what your child needs and I think it's it's a testament to you that you identified the fact that you in a mainstream setup where we are uh, you couldn't get that consistency that he needed. I mean, so there's, there's, I think there's two things there. One, the system is not set up for that here and also in a lot of countries, but also the fact that you knew what you were looking for. Mm -hmm. So 
And I think this is a really important message to any parent or any caregiver that is listening to this is the fact that we really do need to understand a lot about our child's condition so that we can kind of really steer it in the right direction and not have any worries about the stigmas that and you know that are attached to this and really just go for it because you know what would you recommend to parents you know if they were in your situation where you're kind of you know you've kind of dipped your toe in and you know that you know your child might need some additional therapy but they're not getting what they need from a mainstream environment would you you know would you do what you're doing you've done again yeah definitely mm-hmm. i i mean there's you have to come to face reality in an ideal world maybe a different setup would have um you know fit him better would have been i don't know less stigmatic like you kind of said but it just it wasn't available so i had the choice of either doing nothing or just taking the plunge and i think we did the right thing because at that age he needed the consistency and that wasn't happening at nursery and he was there all day until like 4 p.m. so he was there more than he was at home and the consistency was just like it's the highlight i think of this episode for me so word everyone that has used so far so at that age it's the consistency because even though you send them to therapy you need to continue on uh repeating and working with them at home for for things to progress you know so yeah i definitely mm-hmm. would do it again okay that's really great advice and um haida and hasna i'm going to come to you guys together because uh your kids are older hi there the homa you mean homa homa sorry i know she has her son's account <laughs> but, yeah sorry <laughs> but i do know your name homa and they both begin with an h so uh sorry for that um so um you guys have got older children so you really started um you know the ball rolling for a lot of us just with in terms of you know the irony of the fact that we're you know we're all sat here together but a lot of the services and I know Reen you were kind of pioneering a lot of this as well but you know your experiences of early intervention are very different to um to some of ours just because the services were not available so um and you perhaps didn't get the early intervention package that some of us did so what do you think you know what do you how do you feel about that now you know and how do you feel that that's affected your child and and you and your journey oh uh, well yeah it was um it was an uncharted territory at the start and um as everyone mentioned we you know we had to search and and find someone nice um someone qualified to help our child and we were lucky to to find someone uh, who who had the time and the expertise um to to help us of course we did the research what, what is required um so our shadow teacher was the um the ADA therapist who went to school uh with my son and stayed in school throughout the day and then came home and did an hour or two sessions and then so yeah it was uh, you, you know i i know at the start it was recommended that it's 40 hours a week but it's you know i don't think we did 40 hours a week but whatever we did it was it was a lot it, and i was tired they were tired i mean my son was tired it's just um i mean the good thing is that he had a bond with the therapist so he he looked forward to that they were like his um of friends because at that age it's you know it's difficult to form bonds anyway with other kids 
it's just that you know sometimes when i when i think about it i sometimes i feel that i the the most pressure that i felt was not because because of of the challenges that i was facing at home it's the, the external pressure the, the the expectations that come from you can say educational institutes that uh, or society less from society i mean like i don't care i don't have to prove anything to them but you know that i remember being told that oh you're not you're just containing him. I remember being hearing that, oh, that you're just containing him. He's not growing. And I'm thinking, you know, you you can't force someone to grow. They, they're like a seed grows at its own pace. I mean, a plant grows at its own pace. You, I can't force changes in him whenever, when he's ready, when he has the required um, input and, and so he, he will, he will grow. So that's, and that's the, the pressure I, I just, in those years, I remember the stress and the pressure that I, that came with that. And he was being forced to do things he was not ready for. Like in a group group play, he's supposed to play with a group of friends. And he's clearly not ready for a group session. I mean, he, he wanted his turn or and he's having a meltdown. So to to and and we're supposed to like ignore the meltdown. We're supposed to exclude him. And, and so the other kids are playing and he's not. And it was heartbreaking. And I knew in my gut, he's not ready to handle the situation. It's, it's traumatic. And I felt that as a parent, at that point, I was like, you know, at that point, you don't see anything because you're like, oh, we shouldn't interfere in the therapy. But it's, it's painful. And then asking you to record your child when he's having a meltdown, it's painful. It's traumatic. I, those images, those flashbacks still come to me when he's crying and, you know, you you have to record it because you have to send it to the BCBA in another country. And it's like, and then I stopped. I said, you know, I, I cannot do this at this point. I need to hug my child. He's, he's, he's in pain. I need to be there for him. So, you know, a lot of the therapy, sometimes I would question, like, is this like, it was like military that I was like, is there no give? Is there no space for me? Like, like just, just taking a breather and just giving him a breather. So I just, you know, sometimes I would question all of that now when I think about it those things come back at that point you dare not question because you're like oh my god you you cannot interfere you're you know you're, you're paying so much and there's someone more qualified than you who's telling you how to do this and and they're doing it so you so I just now and I think I was like you know you know I should have stepped in I should have said no I should have there are a lot of should haves and I sometimes I think does he remember these things does he is he traumatized I don't think he is because he he it just everything just washes off him you know every every day he wakes up newly programmed and fresh so like all forgotten about forgotten about yesterday's trauma so I'm thinking I, I hope he's like that you know because you know one of my my middle child he asked me like one time he was going to bed at night and this was like a couple of days ago he's like mom why doesn't Heather ever get sad and I'm like you know, he's, you know, he thinks differently. I said, Suleiman, he thinks differently. You think differently. You know, you, he, he, his middle one is really sweet and sensitive, sensitive. So he takes everything in. And my, my, my son is the other one is like plastic. You throw something at him, everything just washes off. And, you know, and I'm, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, maybe that's a blessing that it's just, you know, he, 
he bounces back so i'm i'm like so maybe the trauma is still just limited to me so but of course i i, I don't um i'm not saying the therapies are uh, they, they are important and consistency is important and we are where we are because of um all the time that we spend i think it's really interesting the points that you've made there huma because um it just really um focuses on the fact that everybody's experiences are different and everybody parents differently and everybody you know parents um are obviously really managing this journey for their child so you have to trust your gut instinct as a parent as to what is best for your child because you know your child best what's your kind of best piece of advice Hummer, for you know for a parent that is in you know a situation whereby they're about to embark on a therapy journey and you know obviously depending on where they are it might be an early intervention program or it might be choosing different therapies what knowing what you know now what would be your best piece of advice to somebody in in those kind of starting phases that you know just don't stress about it things do get better if if you feel if it feels like the end of the world right now um but you know the, it will get better just trust the trust the process and 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 you know just love your child and and have fun and and don't be scared to step in when you feel that you've had enough or he's had enough you know don't be um just just step just be there for your child yeah mm-hmm. thanks hama and um hasna um how your journey progressed and where it kind of started with early intervention and therapy and what were your experiences Uh, I'm just going to say I relate so much to everything that Huma said. In retrospect, it really hits us hard. Uh, I have going through my second child now. I so relate to what you mean because I've adopted a completely different approach. Again, I am not minimizing the need for therapy because therapy is essential. And without it, my son is just, I'm not trying to lessen his symptoms or to just not let him be himself but i need him to be able to function or to be able to access uh um access what he can't access now like at the same time uh let him be and this is what i'm doing with my youngest but but give him the tools because without tools he's not going to be able to cope and i really that's all i want i mean that's the thing having realistic expectations to what your child needs and how he needs them and not abandon their social emotional side of things because that is they feel i know it's funny that you said uh, does hider feel sad and i'm pretty sure he does feel sad but he has a different way of processing it and and that's the interesting part is that it's different and we still don't understand it so for me i think the biggest takeaway i didn't get um uh a proper early intervention as in a multidisciplinary and what not i was one of the first families so we all had some of the same therapists begging for an hour here and there i mean we would ideally my son would have one or two hours a day and that was already a blessing uh he didn't get ot because at the time there was no ot and um so uh, the therapist would kind of try to cover multiple skills 
it was very um, like Homa. It was hard because there we had to send videos and again and the meltdowns and and the school. My God, the school did not help and did not. And it was such an important environment for him and a great place to push the skills. But all you heard was like, oh, the little autistic kid. Like, and I would go and and have my my you know conversations and whatnot. I remember lingering in the school just to have a look what what he's doing. And I would look at the play him in the playground. I'm talking at three years old and he's everybody's playing he's sitting on a bench or walking around in circles and no teacher is doing anything nobody is saying come come let's and this is what this is ideally had this been had this been a school or in an ideal world he somebody would have uh prompted him brought him tried but that wasn't happening at all so in my case I followed the therapy by the book I I, again, sometimes against my um, my own, you know, I did feel his trauma. I did feel that sometimes I put really the heavy expectations on him and I have to listen, especially the meltdowns. Those, I cannot tell you, I would be very depressed for a couple of days after, especially those big ones. And more than anything, how everybody looked at you or, you know, at your child, like that mom is be careful from her. She's crazy. She's delusional. She's aggressive. She's, I mean, I, I, and I had, I kept that front because that was the only way I could advocate for my son. I, I was scary and I was, and I would like, you know, throw a tantrum myself, you know, at that point. But, but, uh, but this is, this was the early intervention experience to push a teacher in the classroom was very hard because the teacher, the mainstream teacher would feel like somebody is watching her. And interesting enough, a lot of these schools, you know, had to be like, they had some level of uh, like what the laws, for example, said is like kids have to be included if they can be included in the mainstream. But that was happening at all because different private schools got away with that rule. And that's the problem with not having policies. Uh, yes, that therapy that my son received, as hard as it was, was instrumental in, in helping him learn and cope over time. Uh, we were lucky enough to have some really compassionate therapists. Uh, I didn't particularly agree with the program to like send videos uh, of difficult moments because and but that happened a lot because we basically are educating the parent at that point and as it should always be was the most important thing so I had to understand what's behind it it's almost like we all became it's not almost we all became therapists I mean if you if you you know what's going on you have to understand the science the vocabulary you have to understand what's happening what's behind the behavior and I think uh, ideally an early intervention would be first and foremost to kind of give the parents like you can't just uh, put your kid and then come back and it's a quick a quick fix because without the consistency as both Susanna and Reen said there's no way that you know that skill sticks and stuff and you're again giving him a skill doesn't mean you're trying to change him it just means like all kids have a learning process it just means you're giving him the skills necessary for him to be able to cope then there's a whole other story do we let him you know do inappropriate comments or do or whatever or stim in public and all of that I think all of that should be okay now with what I know now at the time I didn't think it was okay because I was like oh kids are gonna make fun of him he's disruptive he's this trouble oh don't look weird and now I'm like let him you know but but now I know what I didn't know then so I think early intervention needs to be a, a 360. It needs to also take into account the emotions of that child, how he's feeling, how he processes. Uh, I don't think there's a perfect program as is, but I, I do believe that those years are very, very prime to 
uh, to an outcome, to a good outcome. I'm doing it differently with my son now, my, my second one. I do see that he would really benefit from a rigid program, but I think my whole mindset has changed about it, that I'm like, maybe that time, and he, he is doing some things naturally, you know, and, and who will live with it, we'll see. But as far as I'm concerned, I feel better doing it that way now. And, and I hope that all early intervention programs take that into account and incorporate parent education so we can understand our kids and not just mm-hmm. be like, oh, that's how we stop this behavior. Why is he doing that behavior? What is he feeling? What's the discomfort? What's, what's going on? We didn't have that. We were like, we just stop the behavior, you know, and that's it. So, but it's not like, for example, stimming has a lot of benefits for them. It helps them, you know what I mean? And we were trying to stop it, but why? Mm-hmm. We didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Alison, can you, I know you had, you had, uh, I want to hear yours. Sorry. Well, I was was just about to ask actually, Hasna, going through it for a second time, um, which I'm sure doesn't make it any easier, but you're going through it this time with a lot more experience. I mean, how do you take care of yourself emotionally through this as well? You know, this whole process is very draining, you know, ultimately, even with an early intervention program and you've got people um, you know, kind of partly managing 90% of this, you know, we've, yeah. we've been lucky for that. And I'll, I'll come on and in a minute after, you know, we've been there and, yeah, yeah. and really talk about how um, parents that don't have access to early intervention can, um, you know, really, you know, start to help their child. But I mean, emotionally, how how are you working through that? Yeah, I think, does- I think 10 years of previous experience uh, is very insightful going through it the second time around, only because not only you understand it more, but you accept it. You have a genuine, uh, a genuine um, appreciation or like, I, I don't even want to say it's no longer, you've gone through the journey. It's no longer that scary. You know what I mean? You know what they need, you know, how the, and you know what, um, again, I keep saying, I'm very grateful for what I'm, what I'm witnessing, which is more attention to it, more services, more options. Cause you have all these parents around the world that are starting businesses, starting communities, starting, you know, so I can see that the world is slowly becoming more accommodating. So that for me is huge comfort to begin with. And, and then I also can see that uh, my son has really, when I let him relax, he really has, um, has come around in so many areas, so many areas, uh, my eldest son. So when I look at my little son, I say, I am not, I just want you to be happy first and foremost. And I want you to be able to communicate. I find that when, because if you can't communicate then, so I'm focusing a lot on language. I'm giving a nourishing environment. He does get therapy every day, uh, not crazy amounts of hours like before. Uh, And um, because he's also past the three years old, so he's almost five. So by the time we knew, because he's, he's really, again, uh, he's really on the mild side, let's say. So he, he escaped various diagnoses until you know, recently until the skills weren't coming. Um, uh, but I didn't, I'm not alarmed like last time. As far as myself, I mean, I, I've over the years in this healing process, I've adopted mindfulness practices. I have my daily meditation, like I'm very, so the, the reaction, I didn't allow my past trauma to kind of get in the way this time. It was more okay, this is what's happening. Yes, it is. Of course, you're going to feel a little, oh, again, but you, you, you do have that pull to like go back into victim mentality, victim mode. And, uh, but it realistically is no, I'm not, I mean, I'm, it's not the same, first of all, and foremost, because I know the journey I'm educated. I know what to do. I know what he needs. 
uh, this is not a known territory for me anymore. So that's how I, that's how I cope with it emotionally. I, and also, and also I see the beauty in it, believe it or not, I see a lot of beauty and some traits that our kids have, like their attention to detail, their thoughts that come, you know, and, and, and Omar is a, is, he's a joy to watch how his, how, how he functions, how he is. And, and, why would I change who he is? So, so because to fit him into a society that I don't even like, you know, like the construct and all that stuff, I'm not even convinced with like the values of our sort of, you know, let them be and run, you know? Yeah. Very, very, very fair points, I think, yeah. especially considering the, the state of the world as we are in now. Um, final thoughts, ladies, um, just for um, I our you didn't talk to, you didn't tell us about you. <laughs> oh, uh, well, um, I mean, my early intervention journey with Noah um, was um, very interesting, I think, just in the set for, for us. And looking back now, I think it was very traumatic. I don't I don't look back at those first few years um, with any warm feelings or fuzzy feelings. I look back on it as a, a real sprint to find panic panic find services and I think a lot of what Moira was talking about in terms of you know finding good therapists and we had no measure we had no idea that a speech therapist could be um you know like a good hairdresser or not a good hairdresser and it really depends on the fit but it also depends on you know the different levels to how they're educated and what they know and I think um you know we've we've had access to global speech therapists and occupational therapists just for the fact that we are in this melting pot here of you know a lot of people being here from a lot of different countries and it really surprises me actually that um, some of um, the what should be more advanced western countries are actually not providing um, the level of expertise that other countries are in terms of their training of these therapists but again it's very very difficult to measure um their capability and whether or not they are suitable for your child um when you've only got yourself to you're the interviewer you're the boss you're the people that are in like you know paying these people and giving them a job so i found much relief in um the early intervention program that we were lucky enough to be part of when it was pioneered here because i knew the clinical director i knew that she knew what she was doing and she gave me great confidence in the fact that she was able to um, figure out what his needs were and direct therapy. And also to be very honest about who was the best fit. We had a choice of therapists and it was really who was the best fit for him. Um, so I had a, a mother figure, if you like, you know, a fit, like I had somebody looking after me and saying, well, do you know what? These are your options. I think this is a good option. We talked about it and it really gave me a lot of comfort, uh, you know, comfort and education and knowledge and choice. And I think choice is really important because, you know, sometimes you see these people working and I'm, I'm, I'm not generalizing at all. This is just from our experience in the sense that, you know, you've got a speech therapist who just reads a story to your child and then that's done, a 45-minute, you know, story and a few questions. Or you've got somebody who does more than that and comes back to you with more. You know, I always remember those thinking, 
what what is happening here? I don't understand the benefits and the point, but I was too frightened to ask those questions because they're the person that should know what they're doing. So I think, you know, coming back to Homer's point and also Hasna's point as well about asking questions, you know, questioning what you're doing in your gut, in your heart as a parent, you know your child best. So, you know, when things are not right and they're not maybe going in the right direction or you do not feel comfortable with something, I think in hindsight, I didn't do enough of that because I wasn't confident enough in myself. And I was so panicked that if I lost that therapist or, you know, I remember having a conversation with Hasna one day, <laughs> a particular therapist, because, and I phoned her in tears because I've literally just had enough of how, you know, how the interaction was happening and, you know, various things that were happening. And I just phoned her and I was like, uh, I think I've just fired the speech therapist, but it wasn't, and it was, it, it wasn't just them. It was me and it was my emotion. It was my, I needed to get things done quickly and things weren't happening as fast as I wanted them to be. You know, you, I think at the start of the journey and also because my son, my biggest issue with my son was communication and it still is now. And, you know, you can't fix that, but you have this high expectation for those therapists as well, that they're just going to come in and they're just going to fix everything. And, you know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It just depends on, you know, it depends on so many factors. So I think, Really, for me, if I went back now, I would manage my expectations of the situation. I wouldn't be so panicked. And I would also, you know, really, really listen to my inner thoughts on this and, you know, really use my feelings as a measure as to whether or not these were right. You know, these this therapist or, you know, what they were doing were right for my right for my child. Um and I think that we are all in quite a privileged position here in the sense that we have had at least some access to therapy. And when, you know, Moira was talking about her experience in the UK before she came here, there were blocks of therapy that were available, but nothing is available in terms of insurance, um, apart from, you know, obviously it's mandated in the US, but there's not a lot of other insurance um, in the rest of the world, I believe, that um, covers autism and um you know, delays and so on and so forth. Um, and also there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this that don't have access due to geography as well. So, um, you know, just as a final thought, ladies, what are your, you know, what's your best piece of advice for parents that are um, struggling to get consistent therapy um, due to, um, you know, the financial impact of this, because it's it's a weight, it's a huge weight in terms of, you know, if you're paying for it yourself. Um, and if you're not, and you're on a, you know, a health service, and they're providing you inconsistent therapy, or due to geography, you are not able to access um, the therapies that you would like, or a full intervention program, what would be your best piece of advice, um, kind of moving forward? And, you know, how um, parents and caregivers can best help their children in these sort of situations, because I would imagine it's very, very frustrating when you haven't got access. I mean, I think, I think uh, I'm, uh, the best thing you can do when you don't have a lot of options is, is learn, is literally learn and educate yourself. It's not really about what they can do. It's more of like, um, try to figure out how to calm yourself and to take care of yourself uh, first and foremost, just because when you're in a better place, 
you'll be able to deal with things in a better way. And um, I think, you know, just like that saying, when you uh, know better, you do better. So it goes back to what Hasna was saying with like learning and trying to educate yourself, but also be forgiving. Like we're not robots. We, uh, we learn and we make mistakes and we have our good days where we can implement what we're learning and you're going to have your bad days where you're just going to be like, you know what? you know, forget about all this and you just want to kind of rest a bit. So, I mean, just be forgiving and kind to yourself. Okay, that's a really, really wonderful piece of advice, actually, Susanna. <laughs> just, uh, we should all take a leaf out of your own book. If I'd have gone back 10 years, then I think that would have been a really, really nice thing to hear for me mm. because, um, you know, it all goes back to the fact that, you know, as, as parents, and as, you know, the generally the force behind a lot of the direction and the choices that we make for our children in these situations, then we aren't kind to ourselves. And I think you're absolutely right that we all make better decisions when we, when we can just take a moment and breathe and, you know, really think about, you know, the direction that we're going in. And I'm sure it's better for our children as well. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been um, as always a wonderful conversation um, I'll just add to that that if there is any a listener out there that's looking for more information about autism and its related disorders, then this podcast is actually brought to you by uh, learnautism.com. Um, so please uh, take a look at our website, www.learnautism.com for more information about uh, autism and all of the things that we're talking about um, in this series. Um, so you can find this podcast wherever you download your favorite ones. Um, please be sure to give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Give us um, a rating and, you know, a few comments. You can also find us on Instagram. So check the link um, below in the in the chat. And you can also watch this podcast rather than listen um, on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash learn autism. And also the link is below on here. Um, and uh, thank you for joining us. And we will look forward to seeing you all next week for the next podcast. Have a great day, everybody. Take care.